I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hawkeye fans for another edition and welcome back Hawkeye fans for another edition of the Hawkeye history podcast um it is uh Friday what the hell day is it it's April the 10th we are joined today uh by and I always say this and I know people uh, these guys know I'm blowing smoke up there up the rear ends but one of my favorite all-time Hawkeyes and and one of my favorite guys to uh to have covered during my long tenure here of covering Iowa football, uh, Drew Tate. And you guys may remember him as a guy who played quarterback here. I kid. How are you, Drew? I'm good, Rob. Thanks for having me. How you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, it's kind of a, a, a strange world for all of us now, man. How are you? Um, how are you dealing with this pandemic and the social distancing and all that other stuff? Uh, yeah, you know, like you said, it, it is definitely an interesting time for all of us. I think we've all are trying to figure out new ways on how to live life. But, uh, yeah, the, the quarantine thing and, and staying home, it's actually, you know, it's not too bad. I, uh, I came home to Texas to be with my parents. And so, and uh, I haven't got to see them much. And, man, it's actually been kind of cool. You know, they're, <laughs> poor things are getting a little older, you know, so it's actually kind of nice to be around and see them and, and then, like, cook and stuff like that and just kind of just be around the family. It's It's not that bad. I mean, I've been gone so much and then traveling, doing things, you know, and, uh, so it's actually kind of nice just to come back and chill. Um, but, uh, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, but, uh, you try to make the, uh, turn a negative into a positive, make the best of the situation and, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we're safe. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I also agree. I mean, I've got a, you know, I've got a 15 year old, a 13 year old and a nine year old, and we're always going different directions and somebody's got practice or band rehearsal or whatever, and we're all running all over the place. And it's been nice, man, to just sit down and chill and have family dinners and conversations and things. So, I mean, I think we all need to kind of look at silver linings during a time like this. And, you know, getting some more family time is certainly one of them. Absolutely. You know, like you said, just kind of sit back, take a breath, relax, and kind of just kind of just see what's in front of you and uh, try to, uh, you know, be grateful for what you have. And, you know, not only your health, but the people around you. I think it's uh like I said, you know, you want to turn a negative into a positive, and um, you know, unfortunately, we are in this situation. But like you said, with the with the zooms and with the with all the uh, 
technology that we're able to use, you know, we're still able to go on with our lives, I guess, you know, with work and, and stuff like that, communicating and the news and stuff. So it's, you know, thank the Lord for technology. Yeah, for sure. Um, before we walk down our, our memory lane of Hawkeye memories, um, where were you before you went home to your folks in Texas and what are you up to these days? Um, I was in, I was coaching in the CFL for the BC Lions in Vancouver, British Columbia. And, uh, it was, uh, it was, it, we, we finished in November and this, it, was, it was all of our first years up there as a new head coach, you know, it was a whole new staff and head coach got fired right after the first, right after his first season. Yeah. So, then, so then we all got let go. And so I, uh, I was kind of running around, you know, seeing some people that I know and, you know, going to coaching conventions, going to uh, up to just, you know, offices to talk to people and uh, trying to find a job. It's crazy. Uh, this coaching business, it's nuts. You know, <laughs> you know, as a as a player, you have so much control, you know, honestly, for the for the most part. I mean, you know, as a you know, being able to play as long as I was able to play, you know, I, I always felt confident in what I was going to do in my job. Well, now as a coach and especially at the bottom as a as a young coach, you know, you really don't have control over anything except for coaching your guys. <laughs> and right. so, you know, and so now, you know, <laughs> if someone else messes up, well, then you get fired, you know, or something like that. But it's, you know, that's that's the business and it's pro football in that aspect. So it's not too bad. And but it was crazy. I was uh, I was actually going to come up to Iowa City. Uh, I was uh, well, I went to the Hayden Fry Memorial in Dallas. And, yeah, sure. Uh, and that thing, I'll tell you what, that was an unbelievable thing, and you know, and uh, they did a phenomenal job. Whoever you know was in charge of that, um, it was just an, it was it was awesome. And you know, obviously, we all know of Hayden Fry, but that was that that was an unbelievable thing to get to see, just more in depth on who he was as a person and, and what he was able to do, not only in between you know the the white lines, but just the effect that he had on so many people away from the game. I mean, it was amazing just to meet these people, talk to these people, hear these stories. And so I thought that was awesome. And, 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 uh, and while we were there, I, I was able to talk to Brian parents and talk about my situation and stuff like that. So, man, we'll come up for spring. And so I was planning on coming up for spring ball and just being around there for like the six weeks or however long it is. And, uh, and then, yeah, when, when they, when this, when this virus hit and everything got canceled, it was like, Oh wow. Okay. Everybody's on hold. And, Nope, stay home. So, just stayed here in Houston with the, with my parents. <laughs> Did um obviously your, your dad's a coach, and um you know being a quarterback, you're you're inherently at a position that's like a coach. I mean, w- was it inevitable that you'd go into coaching? Was that kind of the plan all along? I know I probably talked to you about this before, but uh, just kind of refresh uh, the mind of uh, me and uh, let our listeners know kind of what, what the thought process was there. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so uh, my dad was my football coach, and uh, he came into our lives when I was, I believe, six years old. And once I was six years old, there was only two things I wanted to do. It was be a football player and be a football coach. So, you know, I'm one of those fortunate people, I think, to know what I've been wanting to do my whole life. So coaching is absolutely, it was, it was inevitable. And uh, it was just, I was just waiting for my time. And that's why I wanted to play as long as I could. I, I thought, you know, you can always coach, you know, you can always get into coaching, you know, your, your playing window is so small and you learn a lot as a player. I think, you know, as, the longer you play, I think it does help you as a coach. 
And uh, that's what I believed. And, um, and I still believe that. And so, yeah, I'm just, I've only been coaching now. I just finished my second year of coaching. You know, I'm 35 years old. So I was fortunate, like I said, to play a long time. But like I said also earlier, you know, I'm a very young coach at the bottom. So it's been, I've had two great experiences, two years. I mean, I wouldn't trade that for anything. And, um, and yeah, I'm just looking forward to the future and what it holds. Holy crap. You're 35, man. 35. Wow. I know. Isn't that crazy? It, it was funny because <laughs> when I was talking to Brian in, in Dallas, Brian just had his fourth child. And, uh, and, and I'm like, and I said, you know, we're talking and stuff. And he goes, yeah, man, we're old. I said, speak for yourself because he's two years older than me. You know, I said, I don't feel old, but I know the dates and the years say, well, you know, you might be a little older now, but I don't feel it. <laughs> yeah. And that's what it really is all about, right, man? It's, it's how you it. feel, not the number. Hey, that's right. You know, you, you, you know, that's, that's the thing about when they said about me playing ball, you know, even though I'm small, they, you know, I don't feel like I'm six foot. I feel like I'm six, six, <laughs> you know, that's how I felt as a player. Right. And you're right. It's not about what you are. It's about what you, how you feel. And, uh, that'll take you way further in life. Um, we'll go back to the Iowa stuff here later on. Um, the CFL, your CFL career, um, what, um, Tell us a little bit about that, what that was like, what it's like playing in that league, um, you know, how you felt about it, what, you know, just just give us a little bit of an, uh, a look into what your professional career was like. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, it was, uh, it was definitely a, a unique experience, but, you know, for people that don't understand or really know much about Canada, Canada is a beautiful, beautiful country, and uh you know, but there's more people, you know, there's only like 30 to 33 million people that live in all of Canada. Well, you know, California's got like probably 40 million, you know, Texas probably has like 35 million just in these yeah. states alone. Right. So talking about a very minute population of a country, but a very landmass large country and, you know, very diverse, you know, it's, it's an immigrant heavy country, just like, you know, that, you know, I think that's just kind of the way of the future, but, uh, you know, there's a, when I started, there was only eight teams, and then when I finished, there was nine, and uh, and it's coast to coast, and it was it was definitely a unique experience because the Canadians, you know, the Canadians, it's just different. Like, like for instance, when you, like if you're coaching in Canada, well, guys just might not show up for practice. Like, oh, it's no big deal, you know. Like, oh yeah, okay, you got to go over here and play with Jimmy and Timmy and Tommy. Okay, you won't you won't make practice today. You are, know? You, are you talking? Are you talking? Sorry to interrupt. Are you not talking in the about- CFL, but oh, just okay. you know, like college and high school, like even college there, like it's just very. Uh, it's just very more relaxed. It's not as competitive. See, and the the thing about Canada, what I learned is. They are, it is, it is quality of life to a T. They don't, you know, sports isn't that big, you know, hockey's big, but that's really it. Mm-hmm. You know, Canada is a, you know, like a, a distant or football, I think is a distant second, but, um, it's just quality of life. Like Walmart closes at 10 PM. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, like it's like life just stops after 10 or 1030 unless it's like a bar or a restaurant. You know what I mean? Like things just close down and, and it's very family oriented. It's very low stress. And that's what I learned about. And then so having that experience about Canada, well, now it, it taught me about America. When I learned about America, America is a 20, is a uh, 24-7, 365 business Yeah, around the clock. I mean, there, there's nothing. There's no 
I don't think you can argue that. And so just having those different mentalities and, and the way you approach things, I mean, it was, it's cool, you know, I mean, you get to, and, it, and, and, it, and as I was playing and, and kind of going through, you know, I was up there for about 12 years, 12 or 13 years. So, you know, it makes you appreciate America. <laughs> and then when you're in America, you know, and then also makes you appreciate Canada. You're like, oh, you kind of, you know, you have respect for just the way that they live, you know, quality of life and being healthy, you know, from a physical, uh, mental and emotional state. That's just a big thing there. And, sure. uh, and it was just, it was really cool, you know, and, uh, got to meet some amazing people up there, got to learn a lot of football. Um, but it is different. It's just a different game. It's a different mindset. It's a different mentality. And, uh, yeah, but you know, at the end, it's still football and, uh, and it's fun. You know, I mean, you're, you know, especially in pro football and it's just like college football, like, you know, when you're coaching, cause I was able to coach at coastal Carolina down in Myrtle beach before I went up to CFL coaching. Like what I learned about coaching is you're in the, you're around these people all day, every day. Like it's just, you're around. And so, you know, it, it's, it's very, very vital on who's in your building and who you're working for. And that's what I've kind of learned through this process. It's, you know, people don't hire people that they don't know because, well, right. I don't know this guy. I don't know if I can be around him for 15 hours a day, seven <laughs> days a week. You know what I mean? And, you know, I don't know his work ethic, I don't, you know, stuff like that. So it, it's really neat to just kind of learn this business, I guess, this coaching world, this coaching profession. Um, I still enjoy it. I might end up coaching high school this year down here in Houston, which would be cool too. I've, I mean, my dad was a coach here. My brother's a coach here. So it, it, it's, you know, if I can't, and, and I mean, and honestly, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the future, what the future holds with the virus and what right. we're going to be allowed to do. So I think that would be, that would make me even more of a dynamic coach, you know, going college, going pro and going high school. So, I mean, yeah. in three years, I hit the three different levels. Um, <laughs> But I mean, and, and that's what, and I'm open to all that. Like my dad taught me that no job, no coaching jobs too big, no coaching jobs too small. And, uh, and then when I think about that, I think coach Ferrance's, I think first coaching job was like junior high girls basketball. I want to say, like, <laughs> you, you, you know, I mean, it was something, yeah. I think I remember hearing a story about that. So it's like, you know, and I guarantee you, he's probably, he could tell you vividly in depth his coaching experience during that time and how he's used that to where he's at now. So that's why, you know, that's why coaching to me is so intriguing. There, there's no, there's no ceiling. It's just, you just keep getting better and better. There, you know what I mean? There's no plateau. I mean, it's not like you cannot, it's not like these coaches have all the answers. I mean, all these coaches like coach fans is probably, I guarantee you coach fans is still learning, you know, ways to coach and, and just tactics to use and situational football and tricky gets hit you know, every game or if not every other game with a different scenario. Mm. So it's, that's what I really like about it. You know, I think coaching, uh, especially, you know, mentoring, teaching, inspiring, um, motivating. I think that's, you know, and I, 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 I believe I did those things. And so like I can, I can pass it on because there's so many young players that want to play the game and they want to learn. They want to know what it's like, they want to know how to prepare how to execute. And I think I can help with that. Yeah, for sure. And I think your the point you made of, um, you know, always learning something every day, no matter what you're doing and not being too big for whatever the job may be. And I, I not to go off on a, on a me thing here, but I can relate to that just in terms of journalism 
when I started, um, guy Stan Hockman, he was in the movie Rocky and, uh, he worked for the Philadelphia Daily News and I, I, I grew up back east. And I asked him for advice when I was first getting into the business. He's like, man, he goes, cover as many games at every level as you can. You learn the games, you learn rules, you learn scenarios, you see more. And when I first started working in newspapers, I covered Little League Baseball, uh, Little League Softball. Then I've covered high schools. I've covered college. I, I've covered everything to the point where, you know, some of us, some people want to just jump in and be at the top of the profession or, you know, think that things are beneath them. But we learn so much from those, those developmental years. And, and whenever you stop learning, man, um, you know, it's life ends, I think. Absolutely. I think you said it right there. And it doesn't matter, like you said, if, I, if it's coaching, reporting, uh, teaching, you know, I mean, right. even being a janitor, I mean, there's always, like you said, I mean, everyone wants to be a chief and no one wants to be an Indian. <laughs> right. You know, everyone wants to die or everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to die. Like, no, there's a process, you know, you got to get there. And the, and the best way of learning, I think, is at the bottom. I mean, it's kind of cool. Like I met a friend and she works for Costco and she was telling me about Costco and, and like their blueprint on how they do things. Well, the CEO of Costco started i think with like pushing carts yeah that's kind of like their model on how they do things and she said she was she got a job you know like in high school or something like that well now she's like 30 years old and she's like a store manager you know or something like that so yeah. it's just like and i thought that that was when she told me that it just made more sense to me on really any field i go into and especially coaching so i mean that's you know a lot of these guys they don't ever get hired straight to head coach or straight to coordinator some are fortunate enough to get hired straight to a position, but the majority start out in some kind of analyst, quality control, GA yeah. kind of role, you know, and they have to work their way up. So, and that, like you said, I think that prepares you, you know, and now you understand how it's built from the ground up. You know, if you go straight to a position coach, well, now you've missed all that, you know, preparing, uh, getting the coaches ready. Okay. Well, how do you want me to give you, you know, you know, my report to you, you know, what are you looking for in my report? Well, if you've never done it, then you might not really know what you're looking for or how it's done. Right. Right. So it's cool, man. I mean, that's, but that's life. That's everything. <laughs> and it's interesting. I think coach Ferentz, as you mentioned earlier, to circle back around, that's kind of what he believes in. If you look at, you know, LeVar Woods or Seth Wallace or Kelvin Bell, all of those guys have kind of worked their way up, uh, not only in other programs, but within the Iowa program and kind of have done different jobs. And I just think it makes you so much more well-rounded. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and that's why they are who they are because they, they see it that way. I think coach sees it that way and implements it that way. And that's why they have the, cult, the culture environment that they have. So playing in Canada, I'm sure you, came up against Jovan did you ever did you complete oh, yeah. many passes against him uh yeah he he picked me off one time yeah he, <laughs> he, he got me the first time I played against him actually here was it the first time might have been the second time I played against him yeah he he uh he was like robbing safety and I didn't see him and I threw like a dig route in the middle and he just boom, <laughs> picked it off he got me but uh yeah I got him a couple times so I know that I'll tell you what, though, he was a, he, he was a hell of a player up there he's gonna be a hall of famer I guarantee it yeah, I mean, everything I've read, I did a podcast with him a few weeks ago, and, and you know, Jovan, he doesn't lack for confidence, and uh, <laughs> he, he was telling me how good his career was, but I did some research on it as well, and, uh, yeah, he really, I mean, he had a really long, uh, 
successful run up there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, here's the thing, too, about Jovan. Uh, Jovan made the Pittsburgh Steelers roster as an undrafted free agent when Dick LeBeau was their defense coordinator, Troy mm-hmm. Palomalo. I mean, they had the, the best defense in the NFL. He made their defense out of Iowa as an undrafted free agent. He was there one year. And, I mean, as a guy that, uh, with his height, I mean, it was it was incredible. And then after that, you know, it kind of bounced around a little bit. He wasn't able to get on the field, but then he pops up to Canada the next year. He came up there midway through the year in 07 because I remember I was, in, I was with Saskatchewan. He, The GM came and asked me about him. I said, man, he's a hell of a player. If we can get him, that'd be awesome. So, man, he pops up, and then he jumps in and then just kind of hangs around about midway through the year, we win a great cup that year. And then he, he shoots off to Winnipeg and has a great career in Winnipeg. And, uh, and, and yeah, he's a heck of a player. I mean, he made a lot of plays in Canada, played for a while, a while had a good reputation. Um, Bond's very smart, uh, very athletic, uh, great ball skills. So, you know, you have all those three things that that's going to make a pretty good player. And, I used to tell because Coach O'Keefe recruited him out of Erie, PA, and so I'd always tell Coach O'Keefe, "Man, let's put him on offense. At least give him a package <laughs> or something, you know." Because I was a big fan of him. I mean, he was a he was a ball hog and uh, on defense, and you know he could you know sometimes he'd return punts. I'm like, man, let's just get the ball in this guy's hands. I mean, <laughs> he can get us four yards somehow. Yeah. Um. And you talked about, I mean, that window for the NFL is so small, and you have to be kind of the right place at the right time. And if I remember correctly, you were with St. Louis, the Rams. Is that where you ended up signing as a free agent? Yeah, yeah. I was only there for a couple of weeks. What, I mean, what's that like? I mean, try to explain to people what it's like to try to make a roster as an undrafted free agent. It's not easy. No, it's not easy. But, I mean, you, you definitely need your opportunity. Like, I, I mean, I don't. I was there for two weeks, and then I got cut for Brock Berlin. Well, Brock Berlin had a relationship with the head coach at the time, who uh, Scott Linehan. They had they were together in the Dolphins or something like that. And see, that's what happens a lot in pro football. And just like I mentioned earlier in coaching, if, if guys want guys that they know, right? And so, you know, I, I guess I didn't pop too much for him off the off the page in the first couple of days for them to say, "Oh, who's this guy?" You know. They said, no, we want to bring in a guy that we know. So, I mean, that was, and that was it for me. No one else gave me a shot. And then I popped up to Canada and then it's kind of, it's kind of like Joe Vaughn's story a little bit, you know, except he made the whole year. Well, I was only there for a couple of weeks. I always felt if I was able to get, cause that's the thing, like, I'm not going to wow you throwing routes on air, uh, stuff like that. I'm mm-hmm. going to wow you playing the game, moving mm-hmm. the chains, you know, putting points on the board, uh, being efficient, um, stuff like that. Like, so I felt like if I got in the, in the preseason, I'd be fine, but I just couldn't, I, I never got to the preseason. Yep. Not what you, it's not what you know or what you can do. It's who you know too often. Yeah. And, I mean, and that's, that's everything. Yeah. 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 It's kind of a bummer. You didn't get an opportunity to at least get out there and show people in games what you can do. And that always, when, you know, as long as I've been doing this and co- I've covered Iowa football for almost 25 years now. And, and like I said, started covering sports way before that. And it just amazes me what people don't, how many times people don't actually watch or look at what's going on. It's more about what their beliefs are or what they think things are. And I just, you, I think you miss so much that way. Absolutely. I think so, too. And, and and it's funny, as I listen to you say that, that's how I feel a lot of people look at recruiting, too. Right. Like, when I, whenever I was, re, or when I was in Coastal, and we would watch, you know, 
like we would just, you know, as like, you know, we, we would put up, they'd say, all right, here, let's check out these kids. And all they would do is just watch their highlight films. And I'm thinking like, well, yeah, it's a highlight film. They're supposed <laughs> to like make plays. Like I want to see, I want to see, I want to watch games really where they've gotten blown out or they've gotten beat, you know, or like opponent wise. Okay. Let me look at the two games of the best opponents and two games versus the worst opponents. So that way you really have a feel you're watching a guy and you're getting a better feel of what he is, who he is, how does he respond to getting his ass kicked, you know, or getting punched in the mouth or against lesser opponents. Does he still give that effort, you know, stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, we were just down there putting up <laughs> highlight films. We're like, ah, we kind of like him. We kind of don't. And I'm like, well, what? can I watch the film? And they're like, well, we don't have time to watch the film. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, there you go. Like, all right. You know, I think that said it right there. Yeah, I don't know how you judge without watching somebody go through adversity. Absolutely. I mean, it's just like, and I remember sitting there, and I'm just a defensive analyst, too, and I, and I was working on the defensive side, and uh, and I'm just sitting there, and, you know, these guys, and I just kind of, I wasn't going to say anything, and they were like, <laughs> hey, Drew, what do you think? And I'm like, I mean, can I watch the, can we watch the film? I mean, I'm like, well, of course, it's a highlight film. He's, he's supposed to make plays. If he does not make him plays on his highlight film, then what? Like, this is nuts. <laughs> But yeah, no, and you know, from there you learn too, right? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, but you know, I think people recruiting is very broad. People have different, you know, opinions and philosophies on it and everything. I mean, and I'm still learning it. It's just I'm trying to look at what kind of makes sense, really. Yeah, and I just I I, I have so much admiration for for Coach Ferentz and what he's done, and it's always been, you know, not only the football talent but the fit. And Coach Doyle the same way. Is a kid going to fit in the locker room? Is he going to fit in this program? Is he going to is he going to buy into what the culture is? And if that's not the case, man, it you can, you know, you can run a four three forty. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I, you said it right there. I mean, that's that's really it. Because you're, I mean, there's no way that these guys running four threes and that are six six, you know, two hundred thirty pound linebackers, they don't want to come to Iowa. No, they want to come to Iowa. It's just does Iowa want those guys? Right. Absolutely. That that's a good segue into uh your recruitment and uh what what uh I'm you, and and I said earlier you're 35, I'm 52, so my memory's probably a lot worse than yours. Um <laughs> but t- Texas A&M comes to mind. Were you committed to Texas A&M or they were you, they were one of the schools you were looking at? Let's go back to your okay. recruitment and kind of what that was yeah. like. All right. Well, so so I committed to Texas A&M in the summer going into my junior season. And so okay. I was one, I was one of the first recruits to commit before their senior year at this time. So this was 2001, summer of 2001. Okay. So I was one of the first. And the reason that happened was, well, growing up, I was a big Drew Brees fan. I saw Drew Brees play when I was in the fourth grade. My He played at Austin Westlake High School. And my dad's team played in the playoffs. They lost to Galveston Ball High School. Well, then like a week or two weeks later, Galveston Ball played Austin Westlake in the Astrodome here in Houston. So I want my dad to watch it. And I saw this short white guy running around, throwing it, just making plays all (laughs) over the place. I'm like, who is this guy? My dad said, yeah, he's only a sophomore. I said, what? Because we had a senior quarterback that was going to Baylor here and and my dad's quarterback. I'm like, wow, this guy's only a sophomore and he's the best dude on the field. So boom. So that was in 90, that was in 94. Well, fast forward, you know, I would, so he told me about him. So I was like a huge Drew Brees fan from 94. And so I just kept watching him, watching him. Well, he pops up to Purdue, 
didn't know anything about Purdue or anything like that. And then all of a sudden, I think in 98, he was a sophomore, and they're throwing the ball 50, 50 times a game, putting up 40 points a game, stuff like that. And my dad was big into throwing the ball and stuff like that. So we just automatically were drawn to Purdue, Drew Brees. Well, at the time, Greg Olson was was like the quarterback coach, I was coordinator, Jim Chaney. Uh, mm-hmm. um, these are big names. Uh, who uh, uh, Kevin Sumlin was the receivers coach who recruited the Houston area. So my dad had a relationship with Kevin Sumlin. Well, so Kevin Sumlin's at Purdue and all that with Joe Tiller. I mean, they had a hell of a staff. Yeah, and, I remember uh, I remember them tearing the Hawks up those first three years. We're going yeah, to right, you know, here. just throwing the ball all over, right? Well, all those guys, uh, and so, man, I'm like, oh, wow. So we got all we had all Purdue film when I was in high school. And because uh, my freshman year was 99, and Drew's first year starting was 98 at Purdue. So we yeah. had all of 98, we had all of 99, 2000, you know, 2001 film and all that. So our offense was basically Purdue's and then Mike Leach at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. That was our offense. And so – I wanted to go somewhere where we're going to throw the ball and all that. And I, and so I tried everything to go to Purdue, 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 Purdue. And so I went up there to a camp and, uh, I can't remember who, uh, I can't remember the camp or whatever, but, um, it was, I, I don't know. It, it was going into Drew Brees' senior year. I know that. So anyways, and so like I said, my dad had a relationship with Kevin Sumlin. So I popped up to this camp and did all that. And I was going into my fre- sophomore season. And so, so this was like summer of 2000. And so, boom, so, you know, all that goes down. And then, well, Kevin Sumlin gets hired by uh, R.C. Slocum down here at A&M the, right, the, right. the next season, like 2001, as the assistant head coach, you know, receiver coach, all that. I'm like, oh, my God, I know this guy. So he comes down, and we have the 7-on-7 tournament in College Station. Well, we've got this, we got this tournament 7-on-7. So at this time, this was yeah, 2001 or whatever, you know, we're on – a&M's campus playing football, you know, doing seven on seven and all that stuff. Well, he, they're able to watch. Well, we win the Soul State tournament and all that stuff. And right after that, they offer me a scholarship. So we're like, oh man, okay, great. Um, so yeah, I was all excited. You know, we're going to go to A&M. Um, it's only two hours away from my hometown. He goes, you know, we're going to end up getting into the Purdue system. We're going to spread it out and stuff like that. I said, oh my God, this is nothing can be better. So, so boom, junior year, all excited to go to A&M. Senior year, all excited to go to A&M. And then R.C. Slocum gets fired in December. Done. And so, uh, and it was funny, the day that R.C. Slocum got fired, he was supposed to come to our house to uh, do an interview or, you know, to have that in-home visit, basically, or whatever. And so my mom's getting, you know, vacuuming, getting the house all ready. And then the ticker at the bottom of the screen, it says, breaking news, R.C. Slocum got fired. And we're like, oh, my God, he's supposed to be – he must – I think he was literally on the way to our house when wow. he got fired, right? And so it's like, oh, my God. Well, during – okay, so that was like in November, December. And I was set to graduate in December and early enroll in January so I could go through spring ball at A&M and everything. So I was like, oh, I, we, you know, we were all ready to go. Well, then he gets fired, you know, he gets fired. But this happened like in December, like I said. Well, I think in like October or November – Carl Jackson called my dad and they had had a relationship because when my dad was coaching at Clinton high school, Clinton high there in Clinton, Iowa, Mm -hmm. you know, Carl was there. And so they had, you know, and this was like in the seventies and the eight or early eighties, I believe. And so he had already had a relationship there. And then, so, you know, goes down to tech, we know when the dad goes down to Texas and all this happens. Well, then Carl calls my dad and is like, Hey Dick, you know how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And Carl's from Texas. 
Carl said, hey, you know, we're hearing that, you know, there might be some, you know, there might be a change down at A&M. And if that's the case and, you know, something happens and there's a new coach, would Drew be interested in coming to Iowa? And I had only known about Iowa through my dad because my dad, you know, was from Cedar Rapids, played quarterback at UNI and all that stuff. And he always talked about the Hawks and how everyone in Iowa just loves the Hawks and the Hawks are this and that. And uh, I was like, all right, well, that sounds cool. You know, I didn't really, the only thing I really knew about Iowa was that they had a, a black guy with blonde hair that was a running back and then a white little white guy with blonde hair that was faster than hell. <laughs> that was literally all I knew about Iowa, right? And uh, and so learning about, you know, and you just, just, you know, I mean, as a child, right, you don't know anything else. And so, man, I'll tell you what, and I said, well, heck, yeah. And this was 02, so, uh, you know, Iowa obviously had a hell of a year and they were on TV every Saturday. And so we would go in every Saturday, you know, after our games on Friday, you know, we'd have our rundown workout and then, you know, start watching college football there in the field house and Iowa was always on. So I was like, oh man, this is cool. Like they look cool, you know, and it was, they were up and coming and everything like that. So I, I told, I was like, well, heck yeah, I'm interested. Like, of course, if something happened to A&M, I mean, it was, I mean, I was dead set going A&M. I know that one with, with uh, Slocum and Sumlin and um, because I was also going to play baseball too. That's the other thing. I was going to play baseball and football at A&M. And oh, so, Lord. Yeah, and so, like, because I was a big baseball player, too, and um, and so I was all excited to do both sports. I had a friend, Chad Huffman, who played at uh, Elkins High School here in Houston, and he went up to TCU to play football and baseball. And so I said, heck, yeah, I'm going to do the same. And uh, so, Or I was going to go to A&M and do, and do the same. Well, you know, all that happens, and then, you know, I pop up to Iowa. I come up to Iowa and visit in December. They're getting ready for the Orange Bowl and bowl prep. And uh, it's, you know, I, I fly up there like in December and man, that was the coldest I had, <laughs> you know, been to that point in my life at 18 was flying into to Cedar Rapids, you know, and Eric Johnson picks me up. It was just me by myself. And then Chris Lee came like the next day and it was just us two there at the, uh, at the bowl prep practices. And I just fell in love with Iowa. I fell in love with the city, like the town. Cause you know, they put us up in the sheriff's right there. I was like, Oh my God, this is like, I really liked the college atmosphere. I, I, you know, I had, I had a bunch of buddies and, and I could have gone to the university of Houston, but I mean, it was like, you know, you're in downtown Houston, you know, yeah, it's the Cougars. It's cool and all, but I mean, there's just so much else. Like I really wanted to be like in a small college town where everything was about the town. And, and it was just like, man, this is awesome. And you could see the support going to the orange bowl, won the big 10 and just the, the, the energy and the buzz around the facility there. Every time we'd go up, I mean, it just felt right. And, uh, and yeah, loved 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 Coach Ferentz. Um, I loved my uh, my like Ed Hinkle, C.J. Barkema. They were my hosts, and just fell in love with those guys. And you know, hanging out with the other guys, and just I was like, man, these Iowa people—they're just really, really awesome people to be around. You know, they're they're just real. They're they're good people. You know, Midwest people, Iowa people, just like my dad. And my dad, you know, was telling me about this stuff before growing up. So I mean, it was like, man, this is really cool. And yeah, just loved it. And then, uh, you know, Greg Morris is down there. He's got, he's got a number five Iowa jersey with tail on the back. And I was like, all right, that's, <laughs> that looks pretty good, uh, you know? And, and then, yeah, I, uh, I still had some visits after that, but it was like, it just not, uh, I could have committed right there on the spot or right after the visit, but wanted to take my visits, see what else was out there. But it was just every time I'd go went somewhere else, it just didn't feel anything like it felt being in Iowa. So. Mm-hmm made it pretty simple for me, I guess. But then that was the thing. So I didn't know where I was going to go. We'll see once. And then once RC got fired, I wasn't sure where I was going to go to school. Well, then I didn't graduate in December. So then I came back in January, back in my high school, played baseball again 
finished that and only had like two classes my senior year because they were just, you know, I just needed something to have the schedule to be eligible to play baseball because mm. I was already set to graduate and, and rock on. And I didn't pick Iowa until later in January, I think, or February or something like that when our, you know, it, it just, from a logistics point of view, I guess it didn't work out, out for me to go there and roll early. And then, yeah, so I did that. And then, yeah, but then, like, uh, I was up there, and it was funny. After my freshman year, I talked to some of the baseball players. Or during my freshman year, I was talking to some of the baseball players. And so I was ready to, like, after the football season, I was going to go play baseball over there in Iowa. And I remember talking to Coach Doyle, and Coach Doyle said, hey, if you want to be the quarterback of the Iowa Hawkeyes, you will not play baseball. And I said, oh, okay, well, because I was already, you know, I was already the backup, and I would already played a little bit as a true freshman. So all I cared about was football, really, you know, at that point. But – that's probably, you know, I've done a lot of things, said a lot of things in my life, but I, but real talk, that's probably my only, that's my number one regret in life because, I mean, look, I enjoyed, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but I really should have kept playing baseball and I probably should have just said, all right, well, this isn't the place for me, <laughs> you know, with all due respect, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, I really should have played baseball too. And now that looking back, but I didn't, that's okay. Still had an amazing experience with football and it's taken me a lot of places, but you know, it would have been, I've just always kind of thought about, man, what if I didn't quit playing baseball? You know, where would I be? What would I be doing? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, That's I think, it though, really, you know? Yeah. I think we all go through that a little bit of things that we kind of maybe would have liked to have tried or, or done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, kind of, that's life. That's life. Yeah. And like I said, that's like, I can, that's the only thing I can literally write down on a piece of paper with life regrets. And I, and I would be really the only one I could say. But it, it was cool, you know. It worked out, and I, like I said, I wouldn't change anything. Um, for the listeners who don't know, uh, Drew's dad is Dick Olin, who coached in Iowa and then longtime successful coach in Texas. So I wanted to get that out there for people who weren't aware who your dad was. And um, what other schools did you visit after Iowa? I don't remember that. Um, it was Iowa, Houston, Baylor. Um. So your memory's going like mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Iowa. Oh, and then I had one for Iowa State, but I canceled the Iowa State one to Ooh. commit to Iowa. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I did. I did cancel <laughs> that one. I did cancel that one. And then I, I was. They were trying. I was. South Carolina and West Virginia kind of came in late, but I didn't know anything about them. You know, and I'm like, well, they just came in late. Like I didn't even talk to these guys. Like, no, nah, I'm not interested in that. Like, I don't know y'all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we don't have a relationship. Like. And so, yeah, that, yeah, that was, that was, oh, and A&M, that was it, A&M too. Okay. Yeah. And I, it's funny, I remember, I think it was your freshman year, 2003, at, uh, at Purdue, the weather was nasty, just nasty, and you were talking about coming up here in the cold weather for the first time. I remember looking down at the sideline from the press box and just seeing you in one of those big coats and hats and just, you were trying to do anything you could to try to stay warm. Do you remember that at all? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that, that, that first season was a, that was a big first season weather wise, you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, I never even owned a hoodie. I never owned sweatpants or anything like that. And as soon as I got introduced to those things, I never took them off. <laughs> I wore them every day up there. What did you take out of that freshman year behind, working behind Scott Chandler, Drew? Uh, man, it was, it was really, it was just all new to me. I just remember just, just being in shock and awe really of just kind of how they practiced, how they prepared, 
their uh, attention to detail on on you know on 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 really how to prepare on how to meet. You know, I mean, in high school, you really don't have meetings, you know, and, and if you do have meetings, you know, they're not really long. It's just, hey, this is what we're going to do. You know, we watched a little bit of film in high school, but we didn't watch a lot of film because we always felt that it's not about them. It's about us. You know, mm. so let's just, you know, they could show up in anything. We don't know what they're going to do. So let's just, you know, let's just be more let's just be more tight on what we're doing. And if they adjust, then, you know, we'll we'll tweak a thing here or two there as well. So but that was that was it really. It was, it was like the meetings and then, and then like, and like the playbook. I mean, the playbook was like five inches thick at Iowa. And I remember like, what, like, why is it so thick? Like, I don't understand. Um, you know, cause we didn't have a playbook in high school. Like we were on the philosophy of Mike Leach. Like we only need 15 plays, you know, like yeah. <laughs> we got 15 plays. We're, we're averaging 500 yards in offense scoring, you know, 40 <laughs> points a game. Like, well, we got this big ass playbook at Iowa. We're only scoring 14 <laughs> points a game. What's, I don't understand. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, what? Like, no, but it, it was cool. And, and just, and, and it was, and the reason I bring that up is because I was talking to Coach O'Keefe yesterday and, and we were talking about just other stuff and we were talking about the playbook. And, uh, cause I watch his videos and on that Twitter thing and yeah. he, he, he's like, yeah, here's our playbook. I said, coach, that playbook's still too damn thick. He said, it's not mine anymore. <laughs> you know, like, but it was just, you know, just that. And then, and then honestly too, the, just the other side was like the, the strength conditioning side. I never worked out in high school cause I played a lot of sports in high school and I was just mm-hmm. always kind of doing stuff. And so really having to understand that that mindset that culture of the weight room and that's really the backbone of the Iowa program you know it didn't take long for me to under to figure it out but it was just a shock and awe at the beginning I mean it was just you know how how you lift uh the intensity when you lift how much it means you know to the program to yourself to your teammates um an accountability thing and then you know a progression to get stronger to get faster to get better because that was you know that was Iowa right there. We're going to, we're going to outwork people. We're going to be stronger. You know, we're going to be tougher. We're going to be mentally stronger too. And so that was a whole new deal. I and mean, I fell in love with it. And, and, and really like I didn't, I didn't work out before Iowa and I haven't really worked out too much. I mean, I've worked out a little bit since leaving Iowa, but I don't work out anymore. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I, I can only, I feel like I can only work out if it's like working out at Iowa. Like I can't go to a public gym. I mean, that's just disgusting and I can't do it. It's, <laughs> I just want to just stab myself in the chest with a spoon just because I, I just, it, it just doesn't feel right. Doesn't seem right. You know, cause like when you're working out at Iowa, it's intense. You're hitting it. You're doing this. When you go to these public gyms, you know, you got these guys just kind of like sitting, talking, staring at themselves, themselves in the mirror. They'll just, <laughs> they'll just be sitting on like a, a rack and just like, talking to the guy next i'm like dude you gotta get up man i gotta i gotta get my set in or something so like <laughs> so i don't even put myself in those situations anymore i can't i can't do a public gym but <laughs> but that was it, that was you know so the strength conditioning side was really the first shock and all and just seeing the behemoths in the locker room i never seen people that big and then obviously like i said like the uh the meeting aspect the attention to detail the uh the size of the playbook, like all that stuff. It was just all a shocker to me. But, I mean, it was cool. I mean, I felt like I was able to master it, you know, not knowing anything about it, figuring it out, and then, okay, I can master you know, and then perfect it, right? So, and that was fun. So then we go into the spring of 2004. Scott's graduated. Um, Matt Bonet comes to mind as somebody you were competing oh, against. Yeah. Who who else were who was I remember and and Coach Ferentz, uh, love him. 
was like, this is a wide open race and everybody's involved and, you know, we'll see the, may the best man win. Who, who else was involved in that? So are, are you talking after Nate Chandler? Yes, I keep saying Scott Chandler. That's my mistake. Uh, yeah, Nate Chandler. So go, you're, you're going okay. into your true sophomore year, that spring yes. when the competition was open. Yes, okay. Well, Matt Bonet left after camp my freshman year. So I, okay. I think, you know, when I got moved up to backup role or, or something like that, like, a, cause back then the camp was like three weeks or something like that. And right. when I got, when I got, when I got pushed, uh, um, you know, ahead and started getting more reps than him and then, you know, kind of going, I think he took off right after camp or right before camp ended. See, I thought and he then, competed with you that spring, but that's again my memory. But you were yeah, the backup. Your true freshman year, you were Nate Chandler's backup. So then yes. going to the spring. The uh, spring, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, so Matt was gone and that was the thing. So, so as soon as Matt left, and, and Nate graduated, there was no senior, there was no nothing, you know, and, that, and, that, and, and Iowa had always had senior quarterbacks. Well, there was uh, Jason Manson, Cy Phillips, okay. uh, Eric McCollum, and myself. Right. And, you know, Jim Ryan was there. Uh, but Jim Ryan became, you know, like uh, undergrad assistant, mm-hmm. um, like a Dave Rye, you know. He, right, he, did, right. he, he ended up doing that. So it was really just us four, I believe. For us, yeah, us four. Like we didn't have many quarterbacks in the room, and uh, and you guys were all young. Yeah, we were all young because Eric McCollum and I came in the same year, so we were both true freshmen. And he played a little bit of receiver his freshman year, and mm-hmm. then um, and then Cy Phillips and Jason Manson had redshirted, so we were all we were going to be we were all four freshmen basically, going to be sophomores. And. You obviously emerged from that. What do you, uh, I, again, similar to Jovan, I, I never questioned your confidence level. <laughs> you, you had to have seen that opening and just kind of attacked it. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what happened though. No one else knows about this either is right when we, I got back to campus after the Outback Bowl in 03. So like January 04, um, I got right when I got back to campus, I, I, uh, I, I got mono. And I, I and I re, I, re, I remember uh, I remember like waking up in my dorm room and it was cold you know we gotta go work out at like five in the morning or something like that and uh, I remember waking up being like man I just don't even feel like doing anything and then you know couldn't eat couldn't do anything just couldn't even get out of bed really and so I think like the second day we had it I went up there and, and Coach Doyle was uh, was uh, you know checking off my my lifting card on my squat and I was just like, I couldn't even squat or something. They said, what's wrong with you? And I said, hey, coach, something's wrong. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't feel right. So he sent me downstairs. I go downstairs, you know, they send me the test or whatever. And it comes back. I got mono. And man, I think I started crying. I was like, mono, like, I don't even know what it is. It sounds horrible. I feel like shit. Like, and I'm supposed to be getting ready to compete for the starting job, you know, right, in spring right. and March, you know, and this is like at the end of January when you come back. And so I was all devastated. So I was bedridden literally, like, I couldn't work out. I couldn't do anything, basically, until spring ball. And so I remember going, like, that whole February, I was I was, I was, was indisposed. Like, I, you know, I, I was just going to class, and, and, like, I don't even know if I was going to class at that time because I couldn't even get out of bed. Like, I mean, it was crazy. I could feel my, you know, they talked about the spleen and if it bursts, you know, you know right, this right. and that. And I said, well, first off, I don't even know what a spleen is, but I could feel it. Like, it felt like there was a softball, like, 
in, oh. in like the side of my stomach. Like I could feel it. I was like, this is like it scared me. Like I had no idea. And so I was freaking out and I was worried. I'm like, man, I'm not going to, I'm not going to practice. Or if I, if I do practice, I'm going to be limited. And these other guys are going to get more reps than me. And I was freaking out. Like, and, um, and then just, yes, I remember the first day <laughs> and it was crazy. They didn't even tell us who was going to run first team offense. And then we got done stretching the first day of, uh, I mean, spring balls coming. I remember it's cold and raining. We're outside, you know, and, and we get done stretching and stuff like that. And as we're going to like, <laughs> to individual or something like that, or we're going into team segment, Coach O'Keefe come go, comes over to me and goes, hey, you run the first team offense. <laughs> I'm like, you're just telling me this now? Like, okay, let's go, you know? like, And then, yeah, the rest is history basically after that, and I was able to recover, and it just kind of worked out. And then you win that job, and we get into the season, and you end up not having any running backs, basically. Or <laughs> the the depth chart thins out in a hurry there. Um, you guys just get, I, I think, that was at our that was at Arizona State, right? Where you guys just got destroyed. Yeah, yeah. That was you know I, I mean like I said I I cried in that game too because that was the first game I had ever played in as a starting quarterback where we didn't score a touchdown and we scored a touchdown late because of Walner Bellius returned a punt there at the end right, of the game. Right. But I mean yeah, we went down there and we got our asses kicked and uh, so that was a wake up call, no doubt about it. Then next week, the week after that was at Michigan. You guys fought hard, but. I think you got your helmet ripped off on that on one play and and still ended up throwing the ball. You guys lost that game, but and then uh, that was the last game you guys lost. Yeah, that was it. And you know what's crazy is that game. I think we had going into the fourth quarter. I think it was it was a pretty close game. Yeah, it was and then tight. We I think it was tight going into the fourth quarter, and um, and then I remember actually the first drive at Michigan. I think we took it right down the right. We just stuffed it right down the ass and scored opening drive. Yep. Boom, took it right down, scored. And so I think, you know, I think everyone was like, "Oh, okay, we're okay." You know, we, you know, we forgot we flushed last week. You know, because Coach Doyle put the toilet in the uh, in the locker room there. You know, <laughs> when we got back from the desert, so you know, we flushed that. Obviously, we flushed it real quick because we we just took the ball and just drove it right down their throats and scored on them. And I remember just being like, okay, yeah, hey, I'm good. Like, I know we're good. Like, hope everyone else believes it. And then, like I said, going through all the way to the fourth quarter, you know, it was a game. And then I think, you know, we just kind of ran out of gas. And then they uh, and they got us. They just kept throwing up to Braylon Edwards. And, right. Uh, and then, yeah, and then um, after that, you know, and I, and I think, too, I think that game was a big game just from a, a confidence point. And, okay, yeah, we just lost two games in a row. That's, that sucks, you know. I was won twenty games in the previous two years. We just we're now we're two and two, but hey, like I think we're okay. I mean, we still believe in each other. We've got guy I mean, everyone believes in what we're doing. We believe in each other. Let's just keep playing. Hopefully it'll you know, things will go our way. We'll get the balance and then they did. You talked about the playbook, Drew. How how much did things change once you guys really, you know, struggled to run the football because of all the injuries there? How how much did you guys have to alter what you guys were doing offensively? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I, uh, I'm sure we had to, uh, we had to change a lot. You know, we had, instead of, you know, running the ball on first and second down, now we're, we're going to throw quick game screens on first down, you know, then run the ball on second down, just try to be in third and manageable, really. And, um, I think that was new to those guys, you know, especially as the coaches, but then kudos to those coaches. I mean, they're the ones who, who had to go back to the drawing board, figure out, okay, all right, we, we can't do what we're built to do or what we want to do or what we're known to do or what we're comfortable to do now. Okay. Let's, all right, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? They did a hell of a job, you know, giving us the the game plans and, 
giving us the uh you know the weekly playbooks basically because you, you know you have a different playbook basically every week and um i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here as in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And so, yeah, I mean, and, you know, kudos to us as players to execute it and to be on the same page and to make plays. Um, but, you know, that, that that's what football is. You know, coaches have to figure out, okay, well, if this doesn't work, what's our contingency? And then the players have to believe it's going to work and then go out and execute. Mm-hmm. And like you guys, like we talked about, you guys kind of ran the table and then you get uh, you get to the last game of the year at home, uh, Kinnick Stadium, Wisconsin. You guys already know if you, you win, you, you get a piece of, piece of the big prize. Um, I think you started that game by throwing a pick. Um, I saw you come off the field pissed off and then that, that kind of everything kind of just turned around and went, went right for you guys after that. There was no denying you on that day. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, cause that's the thing. I mean, we, our defense was lights out and we had the, probably the best special teams unit in the country at that time. So, you know, as long as we just didn't turn the ball over, you know, I thought, you know, and, and just make dumb plays, you know, we would, it would, I thought it'd be a closer game, obviously. Um, just because, man, Wisconsin was, you know, they were undefeated top five, I think, two weeks prior to that because yep. they went up and then I think Michigan State kicked them in the butt pretty good before they played us. And so that was their first loss. And so you know, we, we thought it was going to be a 60 minute game, no question. Um, so it was like, all right, this is how we start. But I mean, if you go back, it was like, all right, through a pick. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, look at the previous eight games, you know, I mean, it hasn't been pretty all of those either. Let's just keep fighting. And, you know, we were at home. And at that point, you know, I think we were undefeated in so many games at home. So, I mean, that wasn't – we had a feeling, you know, we were like, oh, we, we got everything. Let's just keep playing. It's early. It's the first quarter. And like you said, yeah, it, it just kind of kind of kept going. We just kind of kept plugging and plugging. And um, and then, yeah, defense made plays. Special teams made plays. And uh, and we were able to win the game. Did Con- didn't Considine knock their quarterback out? I thought I remember that. I can't remember for sure, but I know he put a good hit on them. On him, and that kind of, I remember that just kind of you guys built off of that hit. It was just kind of one of those it moments in the stadium where everybody's like, "Oh." Well, I know Katzan had a pick. And, you know, I remember him getting an interception for sure. Yeah. I, remember, I don't, I can't, I just remember him getting an interception, trying to make some juke move, and got tackled. Like Katzan, like, come on, man, you got to make a move, dude. You just can't catch the ball and just run to the guy. Like, hey, yeah, you play defense, you know. Like, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I remember him, and and then he probably blocked like two punts that game too. He was always blocking punts and doing right. something. He was a hell of a player, and. uh yeah, I, I couldn't tell you with the hit or anything like that, but I just, you know, as the game kind of progressed and, you know, you could just see that our defense was just making plays. And then yeah. I remember they had this stud, like, white fullback guy, and I can't remember his name, but he was, like, jumping over guys, running all over the place. He was, like, a big dude. But then he got hurt, I think, like, in the second quarter or first quarter. And I think once he got hurt, they were kind of they kind of were done on offense. And then their yeah. defense, yeah. That was the thing about Wisconsin. I had a lot of respect for Wisconsin, but I always, you know, they didn't they didn't play how they looked, you know, with all due yeah. respect, you know, at right. that time. Because um, they, they, you know, I thought we were big on Iowa, but those guys were way bigger than us, I thought, you know. Yeah. But 
for some reason they just they didn't hit you in the mouth as hard as we did. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a cool moment too, Drew, where you guys got to bring the stage out on the field and get the Big Ten trophy. That has to be, I mean, that's got to be up there with with one of you know some of your best memories. Oh, that's my second best memory, and being in Iowa, no question. And um, we may go to your next. We may go to the best memory now, you guys. Again, you know, we we dealt with this the year before in two thousand three with Zook thinking that Kading was a running back and disrespect from the SEC and Iowa's too slow. Now you guys go to Orlando against the defending national champs. How the heck are they going to be able to compete with LSU and SEC speed? And uh, it seemed like you guys, you talked about your defense. You guys let them know early in that game that uh, that it was going to be a war. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That, that that team, those guys were amazing. That, that was a hell of a team to play against. But that, that was my third favorite experience. See, my oh, first, okay. yeah, my first was graduating. I got, huh? I was, I was more excited about graduating than anything else. That was, <laughs> and that was you my should favorite. be. That's, that's, that's a shame on me. I should have, I should have been able to pick that out because that is, uh, that's the greatest moment in life, I think. Yeah. Other that than, was other than sure. having kids. <laughs> well, well, maybe someday for that one, but yeah, it was definitely graduating. It was winning the Big Ten on, on, uh, Kinnick Stadium and then, yeah, the Capital One Bowl. So you but really the, uh, would, yeah. you, you would put the you would put the winning the Big Ten uh, at Kinnick Stadium over the 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 catch and the throw at, against LSU. Hands down, brother. Hands wow. down. Wow. Because awesome. here's the thing: it, what 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 we what we got to do on Kinnick that night that'll never happen again, ever. Right. Ever, ever, ever. I don't think because I mean, as long as you got these these tournament championship games right, and right. all that stuff. Never will the Big Ten trophy be won on Kinnick Stadium ever again. So, I, and to me, we did it at home with our fans at night. You know, mm. that was just everything. That that right there was like college football at its best to me. And uh, yeah, I, I would agree. That's that's one moment I can still in my head picture from the press got press box looking down at you know them bringing that stage out and roping off the area and all that it's so even for me subconsciously I can still picture that in my head so and you're right I I hadn't thought about that with the Big Ten championship game now that's never going to happen again which is uh and that's the last time I was won a Big Ten championship too 2004 so there's a lot there's a lot uh so Drew, we'll jump back into the, the Cap One Bowl. Um, nip and tuck, back and forth that game, real, real, uh, defensive battle for the most part. And, uh, you know, you guys have the ball, you got a chance to do something with it, um, get around midfield. Um, I'm going to let you kind of take us through that series and what happened there, what your perspective was on that, what your memories were. Just kind of, you know, obviously one of the, you know, one of the, the storybook, uh, uh, endings in, in, in Hawkeye football history. You're a part of it, so I'll give you the floor. Okay, so what? All right, you want to talk? All right, I'm sorry. You, you want to go through what now? I'm sorry. I no, you're I was fine. Thinking that, about all this stuff too, like <laughs> that that final series, man. That, okay. you know, the, 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 we all know what we, you know what that is and, and how special that is. Uh, in terms of, terms of Hawkeye history, you're, you're the guy that was in charge of that drive. Okay, so from from the start of the drive, is that is that where yeah, you want to start? Let, this? Let's let's start. <laughs> let's go from the start of the drive. Let's take us take the fans through that whole deal. 
All right. Well, right before the start of the drive, we just were, you know, hoping to get all we needed was a field goal. You know, we had two timeouts and we had time. So we were just like, oh, OK, we just need to get field goal range. Slicker will do his thing. You know, he was having a great year. Mm-hmm. So really, we were just like, man, let's just get a decent return, if anything. You know, because really, if we can get a decent return, we probably only need about two first downs. You know, and we got timeouts. We got the time. So let's, you know, just do what we do. So got a decent return, I remember. And then, OK, here we go. You know, first play. Um, I think I throw one to Ed kind of low and then, you know, and that was the thing. I, I think we thought it was a first down and everyone, the coaches thought it was a first down too. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting there yeah. trying to call a play or something like that. And, uh, and then we try to run a play. I think I throw like a slant or something to Chandler maybe or someone. I don't, I can't remember. But it was a I false think it start. Was I think it yeah. Was and then, you know, and then we get a false start like the, like the next play. Or no, we get the first down. That's it. So then we try to run up and spike it, I think. And then we're all set. The referee, you know, blows his whistle or gets out of the way. So I snap the ball and spike it. Like he left. So it's not my, you know, we don't care if the chain people are, that's their problem. You know, we, you, ref, you walked away, you blew the whistle. So we spiked it. Okay, great. Well, then he says, no, nope, you know, the chain wasn't ready. And so we're going to give you a penalty. Okay, great. False start. Well, then. You know, I guarantee you all the the staff and everyone thought, well, the clock will just start on the snap. Well, Coach O'Keefe calls the play, and so, you know, the all up. And uh, and so as, as, you know, we're calling in the huddle and we're breaking the huddle, the ref behind us says, hey, clock's running, clock's running. So I start screaming, hey, last play, last play. Because I wanted to call a timeout, but I tried to call a timeout, or I think I called a timeout earlier in the season or something like that, and, man, I got berated because, like, the only coach calls timeout and stuff like that, you know? And I was like, all right, well, I'm never going to call another timeout then, guys, okay? I'm sorry. Like, so, uh, you know, so I'm like, all right, so here so we go. So did you all ever right. call a timeout again? No, I don't think so. Well, not that year I didn't because I was like, all right, look. Y'all call timeouts then. Like, all right, like, I'll, you know, we'll take care of the huddle and, you know, we'll do that. So, and then, yeah, as it's going on, um, you know, we, we, we hit a touchdown earlier on actually the same play, I think. It might have been a different play, but it was the same formation. It was a three by one to the field. Mm-hmm. And I hit Solomon on a quick slant that he turned up field for the touchdown. Well, it was a hot route because they brought their will free safety backside weak. And so, you know, they brought one extra. If you bring two to the back, you're always going to be hot. So the back's got the will, but no one's on the free. So side adjust, boom, hit hit um, hit uh, Solomon. You know, he scores. Well, it's the same thing. It's the same. It was the same defensive play, but the problem was that their safety came from depth. He wasn't close to the last scrimmage. Mm-hmm. So when I saw them come, I figured, okay, I'm going to have a little bit of time to buy to kind of probably roll right just a little bit and just throw as far as I could to the right. Well. And then since he had come from depth, we didn't need to throw the slant and the slant. He was in the way of the slant window because he'd came, he'd come from depth. So he was like in that lane, I guess, to throw the slant. It's different if you're on the line of scrimmage and you're blitzing. Well, now there's plenty of space and there's a lane to throw the slant. Well, since he'd come from depth, he came right in that slant path window. So the slant was definitely not there. And Solomon saw it too. And he tried to side adjust, but like I said two a second ago, it was our last play. So I mean, I was just going to run to the right and, and in that coverage, they were in man coverage. And, um, but the guy on Warren was in cover three. He was the only one in zone. So everyone was in man, but number two to the field. And when you say two to the field, if it's three receivers to the field, number two, you count outside in. Well, Hinkle was number one. Uh, Warren was number two. Chandler was number three. And so the number two defender rolls, he just 
he just goes off to the flat and everyone else is a man. So, man, I, I took like two steps to my right and saw the guy just leave Warren. So I said, oh, man. So, boom, I just tried to chunk it to Warren right away. Well, the, my initial thought was I threw it too far. And then my second thought was I saw the ball in the air and I was looking at Warren. I could see Ed fighting off the corner from him trying to close into Warren. And so I thought, like, oh, man, this guy's just going to fall right into it and pick it off. Well, Ed was able to try to, like, hold him off just long enough for Warren to catch it. And then Ed gave him a little push there at the end, and the DB just went right by Warren. Warren walks right in. I mean, it's crazy. And that was it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I just – when I whenever I've seen that player watch that play again, it's just to me – you know, obviously people focus on the end result, but there were so many other little in- intricacies that were going on on that play, including what you were talking about, you know, the heads up by Ed to get in the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if Ed doesn't do that, if Ed doesn't fight that guy off, that guy will pick the ball. He'll just, like, jump up through Warren and catch the ball because that's that's what DBs do. They they attack the ball, and, and – Warren would have never saw him because Warren was looking over his inside shoulder and the guy was coming from his outside. So Warren would have never saw the guy. But if Ed didn't have blocked him or just hold him off, he would have just he would have just folded right into Warren and just picked it. No doubt about it. That's what I think. And just a cool moment, I mean, for a guy like Holloway who, you know, gave what he gave to the program and really, you know, kind of was, in, you know, down the depth chart a little bit and, and kind of was more of a, a role player to be able to, to have that moment that had to have been, been awesome for you guys. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I was, it was all about Warren, I think on that one, it was really cool. And, and there was a, and there's a little backstory with that. So Warren, my, uh, my freshman year, we're in training camp and, uh, and we're throwing routes, you know, like on, in a segment, you know, we're just throwing routes, like hook routes, go routes and stuff. And I remember we're getting done throwing routes and we're going to like, we're getting ready for another period. Well, and I don't think anyone else knows this story. And, uh, and I remember, you know, and I'm still throwing, I'm still trying to make a name for myself. So I want to get as many reps as I can as a true freshman out there. And Warren, same thing. Warren wasn't a starter. He wasn't anything. He's trying to make a name for himself. So boom, the period's over. And uh, we're like, hey, let's just do one more real quick. Let's just do one more, Warren. I go, hey, just go do a go route. And I'll throw you one. He goes, okay, okay. <laughs> You know, and kind of people are kind of running to the next, their next drill or whatever. And boom, here we go. You know, dropping back. I'm going to throw him just, and it's just me and him. That's it. You know, we're just throwing routes. <laughs> well, I overthrow him and he pulls his hamstring. Oh. And man, I tell you what, I felt my heart hit the ground because I, here I am. I'm like, man, this guy, he's like a junior, you know, who doesn't yeah. get a lot of reps. And I, and like, we didn't even have to make, do, do this rep. Like this was just an extra thing we were doing real quick just to catch, sneak a quick rep in. And I felt so bad. He pulled his hamstring. I think he was, I think he was out for the rest of training camp. And I felt so bad. And I went up to him and I said, dude, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And Warren was Warren. He's like, Oh man, don't worry about it. It's okay. That's, that, that happens, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was blown away that he wasn't pissed. Because I was pissed and I wasn't even hurt. Like, and I'm thinking like he was going to be pissed because man, he just pulled his hamstrings. So now he's going to miss practice. He's going to miss reps. He's going to miss all the stuff. And he was just like, nah, man, it's cool and stuff like that. And I was like, dude, this is crazy. But okay, all right, man. I'm really, really sorry, but I'll see you next time. I got to go here, you know. So from that point on, I always had something with Warren, and I thought it was kind of funny. And then. Just fast forwarding to how it all ended, I was like, "Oh, that's awesome!" So we were able. So here you go on the last rep. Now I connected. I didn't miss you this time, Warren. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, and he ends his career on that. That's a great story. That's that's awesome how that ended up working out. And guy, it's yeah. kind of a uh, it's kind of an example of you know you stick with it and good things happen. 
Yeah, right. So, I mean, yeah, from the first time me throwing a go ball to him, I overthrow him, he pulls his hamstring, to the next time I throw him a go ball, a year and a half later, he scores his first touchdown on BC Defending National Champs. There you go, Warren. Good job. <laughs> I've kept you a long time, Drew, and I, so I don't want to drag out uh, these last few years that you had at Iowa too long. But uh, um, how do you look back at those last two years? You get, you hit such a high your first year as a starter that it was the bar was raised so high. You guys had some really good moments those next two years, but it was almost like you were chasing what you did in 2004. Yeah, I think so. I'll tell you what, though. In 2005, we were actually better. You guys were was, good, man. That, we that were good in 05. It was just that we missed, you know, we, we lost three games by three field goals, I believe. And stupid the Northwestern year, game, man. Yeah, there was Northwestern, there was Michigan, and then there was – um Oh man, Northwestern Michigan, and then there was someone else. There was someone else. There was some. Maybe that was it. I think it was just Northwestern and Michigan. Because if you take those, then we're seven and one instead of five and three. Right, and it was right. just like the year before. And see, this is it. I mean, we won three games by three field goals the year before. So that's right. like the margin of error, right? I mean, it's just like a kick here or a bounce there, right, or a play there. And uh, so that—that's what I mean. That's how. That, that, and, and that's what Coach France and them always used to talk about was margin for error. You know, you know, ours is very, very small at Iowa. The attention to detail, taking advantage of plays and, and not having many negative plays. And, uh, and it's just like that. I mean, if we do that, if we, you know, if I, I remember, you know, we, you know, I mean, not just the field goals, but I mean, you know, if I make some throws or some guys make some plays here or there, we make some kicks, or whatever. Well, now we're seven and one again, big co big 10 champs with Ohio state. So, mm-hmm. It was actually just that close. And then, you know, you go to, and then fast forward to the Outback Bowl to Florida. I mean, we get called offsides on that onside kick that we got. We had all the momentum going. And I think all we needed there was maybe a field goal or another touchdown. And we, we had all the momentum. It was all on us. And then we get that, and then we get that extra, we get that onside kick. And I guarantee you, if we go back out on the field as an offense, we're going to go down the field and score <laughs> and win that game. I mean, because, because Florida was, you know, the Gators were kind of like, you know, they got up early and, you know, they were all happy. Well, you know, with all due respect, I don't think they were as resilient as, as we were. So, you know, as soon as we got that onside kick, I guarantee you they were just like, damn, they had their heads down. They got to go back out there. Well, we had the momentum. We had all the fans, and we were ready to go, and then we get called for offside on a bogus call. See, so yeah, just like funny. that, you know, it's crazy. I had Jovan and Ed Hinkle on podcast recently, and I asked them the same question. Was, was Greenway offsides? And they both, like, screamed, no, he was not offsides. I mean, it wasn't even close. There was there was, no, there was nothing. It wasn't even close. And that was <laughs> – and I remember, like, you know, with all due respect to Conference USA and all that, I was like, man, I think this game's too fast for these guys. Because they, they were making calls throughout the whole game. That right. was just kind of – you were like, what? Like, yeah. And I remember after the game, Coach Ferentz – you know, typical coach parents, you know, they had asked them, you know, what did you think about the referee's, uh, you know, performance through this game? And he said, no, nah, you know, it's pretty consistent performance. <laughs> you know, so I was like, yeah. Consistently and, and I, bad. Yeah. I remember leaving, having to do interviews after the game, and I was walking back to our team bus to go back to the hotel or whatever like that. And these guys from ESPN or whoever was doing the game, they saw me. They came running up. They were like, dude, y'all got screwed, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I was like, ah, well, go tell someone else. I can't do anything about it. And then 06, you were dealing with injuries. I think Albert was dealing with injuries. You guys just seemed kind of snake bit that season. Oh, yeah. Well, I had a uh, 
I played every game injured that game or that year except for the bowl game. I mean, it was crazy. I had an abdominal injury, and yeah. people don't really know what an abdominal injury is, but you can't even – you cannot contract your abs. So, like, if you're laying down on your back in bed, you just can't, like, lift up and get out of bed. Like, I had to roll over and then get up like a folded leaf position, like in yoga. You know, I had to, like – I just couldn't – I wasn't able to contract my, my core, my ribs, or, or my abdomen or anything. So and you was, missed the Syracuse game, right? Yeah, yeah, I missed the Syracuse game. I got hurt in training camp. Okay. That was when it initially started was in training camp. It was at the end of training camp. We were working on Hail Mary. So I tried to throw a ball really like high and far, and right when I did that, I could I felt like a pull or something like in my lower abdomen on my left side, and then that was there the whole year. And then I broke my finger on my other hand. Like it was crazy. Yeah, that was just a that was a crazy year. That was a crazy year. And then you guys still, I mean, as as uh, you know, as tough as it was to go through that year, you, you guys got to the Alamo Bowl and. Had a chance, had a chance I mean, to win, yeah. Right there with Texas. Crazy, right? Yeah, it was just that was it. Yeah, the uh, you know we 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 had a bogus kind of call on that one too. The touchdown I threw to Chandler because we would have gone up, yeah. I think, twenty-one to three going into half on those guys. Yep. With the momentum, with everything, and we had that bogus call, and then so I think we only go up like fourteen to three, and then we come back after halftime. When I came back after halftime, I, I was dehydrated a little bit. So I had to go in for IVs. And so I missed like two series. And when I missed those two series, we didn't do anything on offense. And I think that kind of hurt us. And then they capitalized and scored twice, I think, to go up 17-14, I think, maybe. And then, um, yeah, or 17-17, something like that. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, you're right, though. It was close. It was right there. It came down to the end. And that's usually how it is with these. I, I, you know, when I when the Hawks play, it's usually a four. It's always a sixty minute four quarter game. There's not many games that those guys get blown out and, uh, you know, or blow people out. It's just kind of, you know, I would just kind of they they just you know play 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 until the final whistle. It's kind of how it is. It's Iowa football. Yeah, I remember coming into that press conference in the Alamo Bowl after that game, and you just looked like, and I don't know if this was just kind of. You know, I think, and I've done stories on this before about the being in that kind of in that fishbowl of being the Iowa quarterback. It's the most recognizable position in the state. There aren't many pro sports here that you're the guy. You're the most recognizable athlete. It almost seemed like the weight kind of came off your shoulders after that game when we did that interview with you. You kind of just almost seemed like you were exhaling. Do you remember that? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, no, I think so. I remember, too, just kind of sitting in my locker room just being like, oh, it's finally over kind of thing. Like, yeah. Just kind of like, oh, you know, because you're right. Like, I mean, I'd go into the mall there at Coralville, and everyone in the mall would just stare at me. You know, I'd go into Texas Roadhouse. Everyone would just stare yeah. at me. And, and, I, and I thought it was weird at first, but then, you know, because I just didn't understand that. Like you said, I didn't really truly understand, you know, people told me, yeah, well, there's no sports teams. Hawks are the best. You're the quarterback. You threw that pass. Everyone loves you. Yeah. But to me, I put my pants on just like all y'all, one <laughs> leg at a time. I don't fly. I don't teleport. You know, I can't read. I'm not a mind reader. So, like, I and even to this day, like, if Tom Brady was to walk by, I'd be like, hey, what's up, Tom? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't. I'm just not like that. Like I wouldn't just stare at someone or, or praise someone like, unless, you know, I saw someone walking on water or flying, you know, then I'd be like, okay, now this is a special being, right? Like, 
But yeah, it's a lot whole- too. It's a lot for a teenager, somebody in their early twenties. I, I mean, I've watched a lot of you guys go through it. It's it, and not just quarterback, but I mean, obviously that's the position that's most recognizable. It's just a lot. I, 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 yeah. I you know, I, I, I admire how you guys handle that pressure. Yeah, well, I was immature at that time. You know, I handled it probably bad a lot of times and then good at some times. But you know, like you said, I was young, you know, and didn't really know how to handle all that. And and and, to, and when I talk to people about it, like to me, being the quarterback at Iowa is basically you're almost bigger than Tom Brady because Tom Brady goes to the stadium, he works out, and then goes home. Well, like if you're the quarterback at Iowa – Everywhere you go, you're amongst your peers, right. you know, and then you have to go to class, you know, and then you have to have a social life. I mean, you don't have to, but I like having a social life, so I did. So, you know, and then, you know, football and then the summers and stuff. So, you know, you're always kind of out and about in Iowa City, so you're all – everyone sees you all the time. You know, it's not like, yeah, I'm just going to go to the stadium, and then from the stadium I'm just going to go home, you know, and I'll – you know, I'm not going to be out. No one's going to see me. No, I got to be out because I got to go – I gotta go here. I gotta go there. And so, you know, everywhere you go, like I said, in Iowa, especially in Iowa City, you know, people know who you are and they see you because you you're a rock star. I mean, you really are. I mean, these, I mean, the, the stadium holds like seventy thousand, right? So, I mean, yeah. all these people are coming to watch you play. They want to know who you are. And you know, yeah, we have helmets on, but everyone's really, you know, they want to they want to know your face. They want to know everything about you and stuff. And that's totally fine. That's cool. I mean, that's why it's the best thing on the planet. Like, I mean, it's. But yeah, like. Some people handle it better than others, and then, you know, that's just the way it is. I'll let you go here soon, but there's one story that I definitely want to touch on with you, because I don't know if I've ever asked you about this, but I've heard different iterations, different forms of this story. Did you and Matt Roth go at it in practice? No. <laughs> what happened was, <laughs> so this was, this was in bowl prep, uh, going down to the Outback Bowl my freshman year, and uh I can't remember if I fumbled a snap under center. We were in the uh, we were in the uh, the old bubble there, and I can't remember if I fumbled a snap under center or if I just fumbled the ball or like if I we had a bad exchange on a running back or something. Anyways, there was the ball was on the ground, mm-hmm. and Matt and Matt, I love Matt. I love I love me some <laughs> Matt Roth, but Matt practices and in, very intense. So Matt picked up the ball, you know. So I went over there just to kind of grab him, but like we were both kind of falling, and then like it looked worse than it was. Like, it looked like I went over there and just threw him down. Well, I mean, no, I'm like, man, I'm like 190 pounds. Like, I'm not going to just go over there and throw him down. Like, we were just kind of falling, and then, like, he just kind of fell down. It looked like I went over there and threw him down. So everyone was like, oh, you know, jumping around. Well, Matt got up pretty pissed off, and he came after me. But, man, my my buddy, C.J. Barkma, saved my life because as Matt was coming after me, C.J. Barkma ran over there and just jumped on him. Well, C.J.'s like 6'7", you know. Right. He's like 6'7", 280 or something like that. And then Gallery came running and grabbing him, too. So it was like, oh, shit. Like, I almost died right there. Like, I could have died, you know. It was just one of those. But then. It was like Matt, Matt, and Matt's a jokester. He's a little trickster. So like, no. I think he was trying to make it a little, make it look like it was a bigger deal too. Cause I remember going back in the locker room and at first he came up to me and he was like, what the fuck, you know? And then he was like, ah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Cause when he came up to me in the locker room, after that, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Cause no one really ever, never really kind of messed with Matt. You know, Matt was always kind of the bully. So everyone kind of always kind of. They always try to stay. They, they were in that coronavirus range back then. They were always about six feet away from Matt Ross, <laughs> as much as you could be. 
<laughs> Man, you guys had some characters on the on those teams for sure, without question, some characters. And he certainly was right out the front of that line. Yes, he was. He was he was the best. He was a lot of fun to be around. And one more thing before we wrap up, Drew. Um, I know a lot of. Uh, I don't say a lot. I just I, th- I I think people remember when you would come to the sideline and how much of a competitor you were and, you know, you and coach O'Keefe and you mentioned how, you know, talking to coach O'Keefe yesterday and, and still having a great relationship with him. I think people don't, when you're not on the sidelines and, and, and understanding what you guys are going through, they, they see you and he interacting and think that there's adversity there, but I think it was just you and he, that's how you communicated. Do I have that right? Yeah. I mean, Yes, to a certain degree, yes. Um, now, was I overboard a lot of times? Of course I was, but I mean, that was also just the way I played. Like, I didn't know any other way. You know, I didn't right. know, like, I had, there was nothing, there was no ounce in my body to walk over and say, hi, Coach O'Keefe. I'm sorry I didn't make that pass. I'll do better next time. Like, that just isn't me. Like, I mean, you just, that's not Matt Roth. That's not, you know, Tom Bush. That's, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's not me. So, like, Bob yeah, Sanders. I mean, and, and, and here's the thing, too. It, it's never personal. It's right. just it's just the way that it's a, a football is a very emotional game. And the players are very, very, very emotional. And uh, that's just the way the game is played. And uh, and the other side of that is, you know, I'm sure you've heard this term, but iron sharpens iron. Right. So, right. you know, guys getting after each other, it, it I'm I'm more for that than not, because to me, if you're getting after each other. At least you care, because if you right. didn't care, you wouldn't even waste your breath or time, right? Mm-hmm. So, so to me, it's you know, iron sharpens iron. You know, you know, we're gonna we're in this together. We get after it, but it's but it is love. I mean, we all have love for each other. I mean, it's no different than you and your kids, probably. I mean, y'all probably go at it, or you and your parents probably go at it. It's the same mm-hmm. kind of thing. I mean, it doesn't mean you don't love each other. You don't take it personal. It's just. It's just that's life. That's that's the way it is. And like I said, everyone's different. They talk differently. They react differently. And that was just the way I played the game. That was it. And yeah, no, it was never anything personal. Um, and here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, just talk to Coach O'Keefe about it, and you know, talk to the players. That's the thing. It, it, you really don't dwell too much on opinions outside the building. People right. that aren't there every day. It's all about what's inside the building, what's being said inside, what's being felt, okay, and how are we going to, you know, come through, you know, like how, you know, you know what I mean? Like just mm-hmm. how are we going to move on from this? How are we going to work through this? Okay, great, but we're in this together. So, yeah, it, it's a family. Families bicker all the time at each other. doesn't mean <laughs> they don't love each other, but that's, that, I mean, that's, that's how I always felt it was. I mean, because like I said, you know, you're around these people all day, every day. So, I mean, of course, like, you're going to disagree and have disagreements, but you just, yeah. you say, okay, yeah, move on. Like, it's not personal. Like I'm not going crazy because I don't like you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going crazy. <laughs> and so that's the other thing. I don't, I'd get mad at myself and people thought I'd be mad at other people. It's like, no, it's don't, don't interpret it that way or don't sure. perceive it that way. I know that's, you know, that's my fault for putting it out there for it to be perceived one way or another, but, that's not the way it is here, but that's fine. If you want to judge and point and say, Hey, yeah, no, no, no. Why you're setting up in the stands or something like that. But that's, that's why you're in the stands and that's why we're on the field. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, with all due yeah. respect, like th- this is what we do. This is what you do. You stay there. We'll stay here. We know what we're doing. We'll handle it. 
So, Drew, we'll wrap on this, man. Um, kind of come full circle here. Um, you're in the coaching profession now. You're talking about maybe doing high, coaching high school football when we get back to normal here, and we'll eventually get back to normal and we'll start playing sports again. What are your, I guess, short-term and long-term goals for your coaching career? Um, well, right now to get a job because I don't have a job right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's right. short-term. That's a good short-term goal. Long-term is to keep the job. Um, that's what I would like to do. I, uh, I, I, I coached quarterbacks this last year. Absolutely loved coaching quarterbacks. Always wanted to my whole life. So I would love to be a quarterback coach. If not, I'd like to be a receiver coach and then, um, and then, you know, get some experience there and then, you know, run an offense, um, call plays, install, teach everyone, and then uh, eventually be a head coach. Absolutely. Right on, man. And I wouldn't put it past you having covered you when you were here and, and watched your, your career and, and you grow up and become a, become a man. I've, I've, I've been impressed the whole way and I have no doubt in my mind that you're going to succeed at this. Thanks. Yeah, man. I hope so. I appreciate that. It means a lot. And I really appreciate you giving all us all this time. This is by far the longest podcast I did, and that's longer than what I did with Fred Barr, I think, and Joe Vaughn, and those guys can talk. So yeah. this, this, was, <laughs> this was awesome catching up with you, man, and I really appreciate you giving us this time, and, and I hope the, the folks at, uh, at Hawkeye Nation who listen to our Hawkeye History podcast really appreciate what uh, the stories you told us. Well, man, I tell you, I, I, yeah, and I really appreciate Hawkeye Nation. It's, uh, it's a hell of a deal. We got the best fans in the country in any sport. Actually, we got the best fans. I mean, there's probably some of those, the soccer fans, the hooligans and stuff. They might be a little more serious, but maybe not. I don't know, but I'll tell you, the Hawk fans are right underneath those guys. And like Hawkeye Nation, it's easy to follow and, and, and get all the information. When I was up in Canada and, and just anything you need to know about Iowa football or any sport in Iowa or just Iowa in general or the Hawks, you know, go to Hawkeye Nation. It's easy, and, and it seems like a good deal. Everyone seems to enjoy it and has fun with it. And I want people, the listeners to know that that was an unpaid endorsement from Drew <laughs> Tate that I'm now going to clip and use Absolutely. as an advertisement. Thanks a bunch, Drew. It was great to talk to you, man. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Have a good one. Thanks. You too.